Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Oh, and it's a beautiful sports Saturday here in the Valley. Welcome to Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Uh, Mitch is out today, but uh, my good friend Eric Ruby is here. And, man, did you pick a heck of a week to be here in the studio with me? Finally, right? I've been Talk talking, some what, basketball. 20-something days. The Phoenix Suns <laughs> haven't had a head coach. Their former head coach goes and gets the highest-paid contract in NBA history. Yeah. The Suns end up with their guy, though. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And we're going to talk all about the ramifications of this, uh, both for their former coach, their new coach, their superstars, all of it. we got to talk about um, there's a lot to get to. So Frank Vogel is the guy, right? That's the hire. I think everybody pretty much knows that by now. Um, you know the basics. You know that he won a championship with the Lakers in the bubble year in 2020. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that puts an asterisk next to that championship. Listen, dude, that was the form of the championship. That was the form of playoffs that they chose in the COVID year. I don't think anybody blames them for doing that. Uh, you win a championship, you win a championship. That's the way it is for me. And you could talk about the difference between having to play in the bubble and having to play in front of, you know, tens of thousands of fans in the NBA finals. We could talk about that all day long, but Frank Vogel, for all intents and purposes, is a championship pedigree coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bubble is such a tired conversation for me personally. I know. I'm done with it, really. Right, because everybody was playing on the same level right and all the players who were there were like sometimes it was actually harder because all you had was basketball yeah and there are a lot of people are saying frank vogel whatever flaws he might have offensively which we'll get into a little bit like he loves basketball and to be able to get a group of guys together in the bubble in the middle of something that was really hard going on in the world and completely unprecedented circumstances to then go and be the best team and beat a lot of really good teams to go there, that's not nothing. And if Suns fans who are maybe out on Vogel want to use that as a way to discredit him, just look at what the bubble did for the Suns. Look at what the bubble did for Monty Williams and creating a culture. Like, that was real basketball. And it's different than winning a championship this year. But like you said, you can't discredit it for him. But... A lot of, lot of positive reaction to Frank Vogel, but I wouldn't say it's like overtly positive. It's more in the, okay, like not bad realm. People are saying, (laughs) I hate that that's the temperature in the room. When you hire a brand new coach for a team that has championship aspirations and is right there on the cusp over the last couple of seasons, last three seasons, really. And that's all this is. They're just trying to get over that hump. They just wanted somebody who had a ring. I think that that was the final factor because we could talk about the other candidates. Uh, First of all, let's talk about Doc Rivers very quickly because it's a short conversation. Uh, It never felt like anybody warmed up to the idea. Uh, I've been saying for weeks, Doc Rivers doesn't make sense because everywhere he coaches, everyone ends up hating him. I mean, I have my best friend is from Philadelphia. The second they hired him in Philadelphia, he was like, I hate him. I can't stand the guy. I just don't like him. And he has a terrible track record in games that matter. He yeah. nobody who's has lost more game sevens and blown more leads in a playoff series than Doc Rivers. And if you just fired, frankly, a good head coach, a head coach yeah. that just got the biggest bag in NBA history, right? You're gonna fire him because he couldn't get it done when the lights were the brightest in these game sevens with these playoff leads. And you turn around and you just hire the older, more washed version of him. That was to me unfathomable unfathomable if they did that i'm glad they didn't i don't think that doc rivers pulled his name out of consideration like it was reported 
30 yeah. seconds before Frank Vogel was hired. <laughs> you know, that's funny that you bring that up because uh, last week we were sitting right here doing the show, me and Mitch, and the same thing happened with Nick Nurse. Remember, Nick Nurse was up for the Bucks job and they ended up hiring Adrian Griffin. But Sham Sharania reported for The Athletic that uh, it was Nick Nurse who pulled out and then a minute later tweeted that it was going to be his assistant from Toronto, Adrian Griffin, who got the job. And we talked about, like, okay, why why does he get to say he pulled out? Like, clearly they had made their decision in that moment. It's mm-hmm. not like he pulled out and they were like, oh, okay, Adrian Griffin, I guess. It's not like that was what happened. So it, is this a new trend in the NBA with established head coaches where the teams say, hey, uh, it's not, it's not going to be you. We're going to debate between these other two. And so if you want to go out and say that you're pulling out, that that's fine if you want to save some face. I don't, Is that what happened? I don't think that – I really don't think that the teams are going to the coaches and saying, hey, it's okay if you want to say you pulled your name out. I think the teams are going to the coaches and saying, you're not going to be our head coach. And then that coach goes to their agent as quickly as possible. And they say, <laughs> I'm pulling my name out of the running. I'm not going to get it. Spin it, right? I and didn't want the, that job anyway. And then the agent goes to a big national media reporter right. and goes – Nick Nurse is no longer it's, wanting to be considered for the Bucks. It's a Doc perception Rupert, thing. Yeah. It, it to me, it's a little bit. It feels pathetic. Petty. It's yeah. a little bit pathetic. Like it's, if this came out like a day or two ago, right? Fine, but also the conversation wasn't about Doc Rivers. The conversation was about Kevin Young. In fact, right. a lot of people were already given up to the fact that all right, let's see what Kevin Young's got because all the signs that seemed to point. Heck, even Bill Simmons was like. Yeah, I might put my reputation on this. I'm. I feel really strongly about Kevin Young being the next head coach of the Suns. Well, there the goes that, that reputation. <laughs> right, and I guess you could still wonder if Kevin Young's going to stay there because there were some positives to Kevin Young that would maybe balance out the negatives for Vogel. I mean, Vogel, true and true, is a is a defensive coach. It has been his calling card since he took over from the Pacers in 2011. Here's his defensive ratings while he was with the Pacers: tenth, first, first, eighth. And third from 2011 to 2016. Pretty good. Brought somebody like Roy Hibbert, who was practically a non-factor. Like he was a, he was a first round pick. He was late. He was big. He taught him how to play effective defense with verticality. And that Pacers team cultivated something that brought the best out of Paul George. So not only was his defensive rating really good when he was with the Pacers and also when he was with Orlando and also when he was with Los Angeles, but he's shown that he can get the most out of guys on both ends because Paul George really blossomed and became a superstar under Frank Vogel. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about positional fit and what he can bring out of eight and all these things are are definitely important conversations we're going to have today on the show. Um, to go back to your original point about Kevin Young and what he can kind of provide to the Suns if he were to stay, it's an interesting conversation, and it's not an easy one if you're Kevin Young, I'm sure, because I, I'm guessing as I'm going to anoint him as the top assistant in the league, especially now that Adrian Griffin got a job in, in Milwaukee. I think he's probably the next guy in line to get a head coaching job. He's somewhere. one of few that was in interview races. Him right. and Jordy Fernandez seem to be like two of the really big names. That's fair. If that's the case and you are the top name for, you want to be in a head coach next year in that cycle, then I would think Kevin Young wants to connect with a team that can help him get there. I don't know that going to a place like Detroit and following Monty Williams would be a good fit for that conversation because if Detroit, how many games did Detroit win this year? 17. 
Let's say they double that win total and they're at 34 next year. Mm-hmm. Still Suns, not a playoff the, team. That's the Suns' plan. That's what the Suns did. Fair enough. And and you know what? Th- Detroit would be thrilled by that. But is that what gets Kevin Young a head coaching job next year? Well, right. By and, being a part of a team that wins 34 games? And Kevin Young has kind of followed Monty around. Uh, was with him in Philadelphia and who's an assistant. Followed him to Phoenix. And sure. I, I like, there's... There's no denying that Kevin Young's one of the best young minds in the game. I mean, he's coached G League, NBA, overseas. Like, he stepped in for Monty uh, when he had COVID uh, a couple years ago. Like, he, he's, he is going to be a head coach in this league. He almost got the Jazz job. Like, he is going to be a head coach. It's kind of a matter of when, not if. Sure. Because these types of guys, they don't just, they don't just go away. It might take them a couple cycles to get a job, but I would be shocked if in the next... I don't know, five years seems like a long time, but also, like, when you look at the coach game plan, and he's only been in the NBA, I think, since 2016, which is... Pretty quick turnaround. Right, like, that's a long time if you're looking at it like, oh, my kid has grown up so much in seven years. But if you're talking NBA coaching terms and being an assistant, Igor Kokoshkov, when he was hired by the Suns, I think he'd been in the league for, like, almost two decades at that point. Yeah, And he was close to 50. Young just hit 40, 41. Like, he, he is a younger guy, ironically enough. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, and I know Gambo floated this out there and said that it's definitely a possibility that he would stay with the Suns. It's his decision because, yes, the Suns just turned you down for a job, but Toronto has the only head coach opening available now. And Is I it his decision, though? I would think so. Do you think the Suns went to their brand-new head coach and said... We want you to keep Kevin Young. He's clearly the top assistant in the league. We already have him here. He's got familiarity with Book and Durant. They like him. They even, reportedly, they even wanted him to be the head coach. That they stood on the table for Kevin Young. Yeah, I think that's a little exaggerated. But I think okay. like, he does have a good he does have a good relationship with him. Stood them. up for him, at the least. They like him. At the very least, that's where the conversation starts. So I think that there's a lot of value in keeping Kevin Young. I would love to have him around. The the problem is, does Frank Vogel get told by ownership and by the front office, hey, we'd like you to keep Kevin Young? That's a hard thing to tell a brand new executive in any business, any walk of life. You tell a new boss, hey, you have to keep this person as your right-hand man. Yeah. That's a hard sell to I any mean, coach. He should have He should have the full reign to build his staff. He should. Because he's the head coach. It's he the should. same way when Monty Williams gets hired, when Jonathan Gannon gets hired, when Kenny Dillingham gets hired. They should be able, like, you hired them for a reason. They should be able to orchestrate it. I think that Young is so respected, and especially for somebody like Vogel, who's so defensive oriented, and Young kind of goes to the opposite side of that, more focused on offense. I just think it's a good fit. And I don't see Vogel as the type of guy to get rid of somebody just because they were the competition for the job that he won. And who are you going to bring in that's better? I think uh, Gamble put out a couple names. David Fisdale's up there. I've also seen some reports about Phil Handy, who's a player development coach for the Lakers that a lot of people really liked. I mean, Vogel had a good stint with the Lakers. He was basically the fall guy after they traded for Russell Westbrook, and then he played Russell Westbrook when Anthony Davis and LeBron James were out, and then he gets fired. And... Darvin Ham's done a good job. There's no denying that. But it was a little bit of of a surprise when they fired Frank Vogel. And so he had a really good relationship with a lot of guys in L.A., players who we might get to in a bit, and assistant coaches. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody from that tenure joined him. But I would, I would love, love, love to see Kevin Young stick around here, give him a big raise, 
because money talks. It is his decision. And you did save some money in Frank Vogel because with Monty Williams going to Detroit, all that money the Suns were on the hook for goes away. Right. And then you signed Frank Vogel for half the price of what it cost Monty to go to Detroit. Well, right. And I mean, you essentially it, got a free head coach. I believe it's still less than what Monty's original contract was yeah. with the Suns anyway, which to me is insane because I do believe that Frank Vogel is a better basketball coach than Monty Williams. I think Monty Williams is probably a better culture builder. And that's why Detroit, who's so desperate to have a culture for the first time in forever, would maybe pay about 13 million annually for Monty Williams. Frank Vogel's won a championship. He's had top 10. He's a walking top 10 defense. And to be fair, so was Monty in the regular season, more or less. It was the playoffs that he fell off. But I think Vogel's a better basketball coach. You're getting him for half the amount of money per year than Monty Williams. You have him locked up for five years. Will he make it five years? That doesn't seem to really be the trend in Phoenix. Few coaches make it that long. Uh, almost none at this point. You're, yeah. you're looking all the way back in McLeod for the last guy to make it. Five years as the Phoenix Suns head coach. Monty only made it four, but it's a good deal for him. It's not an overpay. It's a championship-level coach who has an identity. The Suns are going to have an identity shift. They're going to be a defensive team, and offensively, it's going to be Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, you do you. I'll tell you what, we've gone through a lot of coaching changes lately in the Valley, whether it's the Cardinals, the Suns, other teams as well. But should the Diamondbacks jump on this opportunity to lock up their skipper? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Runner at third is Hilliard, the tying run. Go ahead, Rosario at first two outs. The pitch on 0-1. Ground ball back to the box. Castro runs to first, underhands. Diamondbacks win it on the toss to first by Walker. They have beaten the Braves tonight by a final score of 3-2. Greg Schulte on the call for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have been scorching hot lately. They're so much fun. They really are. One win against Boston, four against Colorado, one against Atlanta. Atlanta, really the true test here, and I'm excited to watch the rest of this series. Uh, You get Spencer Strider today. You get Zach Gallen tomorrow, so that's a really interesting series. Um, Yeah, this is a super exciting team, and currently sitting tied at the top of the NL West with the Los Angeles Dodgers. If you told me a month and a half, two months into the season that we'd be in the place that we are, I'd be really happy with those results. The expectations were not tied for not just the best record in the NL West. In the league. The best record for the NL. And that's why this series with the Braves is so important. Going into last night, the Braves were only a half game back for that spot. And as great as it is that the Diamondbacks swept the Rockies in four games, and a four-game sweep, period, is hard no matter who the team is. Like, you got to be real here. The Rockies are the worst team in the NL. Not just the NL West. Like, record-wise, they're the worst team in the NL. And it took a Corbin Carroll walk-off, fantastic moment, to beat them. That's not the real test. This is the real test. Because if you're going to be a top team, the top team in the National League, you have to win at least some of these games. I, they're probably not going to sweep the Braves. That's a really tall task. But Especially game- Nelson against Strider today. Strider's arguably the best pitcher in the National League, and yeah, the argument tough. only goes against Zach Gallon, who's pitching the next day. So it, it would have been incredible to get them together in oh. the same game, but um, this is the way that things broke out. So all-star voting started this week, 
Mm-hmm. I filled out my first ballot, and I actually surprised myself with how many All-Stars uh, I selected starters for the Diamondbacks. I picked three, and Ooh. I tried to be as objective as possible because I don't want to be that Homer guy who's like, oh, he has a Diamondbacks podcast, the Ain't No Fang podcast. You can check it out at ArizonaSports.com. Uh, but uh, we went over all of this All-Star stuff this week, and I had Perdomo mm-hmm. at short only because there is a huge lack of production at shortstop in the National League this year. Who would he be going up against? Uh, There's some star players, but they're not playing well. Francisco Lindor hasn't been that good, although he does have 40 RBIs, so maybe that gets him enough. Uh, Dansby Swanson's numbers aren't as good as Perdomo's, although he's played more games. Um, There's guys. Xander Bogart's had a really hot start to the season, but cooled off dramatically. Perdomo's just been better than all of them, uh, but he's also cooling off pretty dramatically right now as well. I voted for Lourdes Gurriel, who's the best, maybe the best hitter in the entire National League in the month of May, and Corbin Carroll, who's probably the National League Rookie of the Year. So there's three starters right there. And then you're looking at maybe somebody like Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly are both all-star caliber pitchers. I mean, think about what we're talking about here, right? Last year, going into the all-star like voting, Conversation was Zach Gallen should probably have it. Who else? Maybe Cattell, based mm. on how good he, we know he can be. But he wasn't that. Like but he's he having wasn't a bounce bad. back season this year. Yeah, he's more in contention this year than he was last year, and he's right. not even probably top five on the team. The only reason you, he was even in conversation last year was because you got to pick somebody. You got to have one player get in, and none of us knew who Joe Mantiply was. No offense to him, he had a fine first half last year, uh, fine year in total. But, yeah, no, the conversation is completely shifted. And interesting that you bring up Merrill Kelly because when you look at the statistics, we all know Zach Allen is the better pitcher at this point. But Merrill Kelly's numbers are strikingly similar if you ignore the strikeout column. He doesn't strike guys out at the same rate Gallon does. But he's, he, I mean, he gets do. high numbers. He had a 10 strikeout game earlier this season, 8Ks last night against a yeah. really high-powered Braves offense. The bar is so high with Gallon that, like, yeah, he doesn't hit that. But you're right. Merrill Kelly is one of the best pitchers of the National League. And I do wonder, does it increase or decrease your odds of getting on the All-Star team if you're Merrill Kelly? The fact that Zach Gallen will probably be there. It probably your decreases. Teammate. It probably decreases it. Because, and, and I guess part of this has to do with voting. And uh, you don't vote for pitchers, so I guess maybe it, it doesn't play into the conversation. But uh, part of it is, you know, he's your battery mate. And he's better than you. Or at least that's the perception. But he's better than everybody. He's better More than most. Or less. Yeah, pretty much everybody not named Spencer Strider, he might be in that conversation. But, uh, I, yeah, I do wonder how many All-Stars we're going to see from this team. But when it comes to the overarching coaching discussion that we've had, because the Cardinals have changed coaches, the Suns have changed coaches, I feel like there's another one. Oh, Kenny Dillingham's a new coach at ASU football. The Diamondbacks have the opportunity right now as kind of the hottest team in town, uh, like we talked about at the top of the National League West, should they be locking up Tori Lovello long term? It's a really interesting question because he's kind of been on this year to year plan for a while now. And you didn't really know about the direction of this team a couple years ago. Like you knew what they wanted to do, but you didn't know if they could capitalize on it. But you have to give Tori Lovello credit, man. He has been absolutely masterful when it's come to balancing building up these young guys out of their farm system. All these names that Dimebacks fans are now in love with, leading off with Corbin Carroll, but then you got your Alec Thomases, your Jake McCarthy's, your Dominic Fletcher's, your young pitchers as well, Ryan Nelson, Tommy Henry, Brandon Fye, Drew Jameson. 
But also think about the amount of veteran talent on this team. Christian Walker ain't new. He's just not. Cattell Marte, Nick Ahmed, you brought in Evan Longoria. You have such an interesting balance here, and they're playing so well, and you can tell everybody likes each other. That's as much on all of the managers with Tori at the lead as it is with the players because you have to establish that culture. And if you ask Tori Lavello what he wants to do for his career, which Burns and Gambo did yesterday when they had him on, he was pretty outright in saying that he wants to be here. We have a love for the city and a love for this town, unlike any other people. And I want to stay here for the rest of my life. I, I love Arizona. I, I love this, this community. Um, I bleed Sedona red, and I don't want to go anywhere. I, I would sign a life con- lifetime contract tomorrow if I could. But the game just isn't built that way. Okay, lifetime contract is not obviously it's out of the question. It's not. It's never going to happen. It's not, not going to happen. Yeah. But a long-term extension, I mean, I'll just pose it to you point blank. Do you think he deserves, I would say, a, a three-plus year maybe extension? Yeah, coaching contracts are so difficult. We talked about it with you know Frank Vogel and Monty Williams earlier. Very rarely does a coach in a professional sports franchise make it to the end of their contracts. Tori Lovello hasn't just done that. To your point earlier, he's been kind of on this year-to-year thing, and they evaluate at the end of the year. And every year he's come out unscathed. Uh, and so to his credit, he probably does deserve it because he stuck around during some of the bad times. To their credit, they stuck with him. In the bad times, when they easily could have fired him after one of the worst seasons the Diamondbacks have ever had in franchise history. And they didn't do that because they realized Tory's not the problem. Not this season. Tory's not the problem. We put a garbage team on the field and we expect Tory Lavello to win, what, 80 games with them? No. They came to a realistic expectation. So credit to Mike Hazen. Credit to the front office for realizing we put our manager in a bad spot. We have to take responsibility for that. He was not the problem. Do I think he's a top five manager in the game of baseball? I don't think he's in that conversation, but I think the consistency needs to be credited. They've chosen continuity over changing coaches based on the fluctuation of how good our team is. That's how so many franchises in sports work. Yeah. Uh, we had a down year. Let's change the coach. The coach is always the scapegoat, right? It's so much easier to change the coach than your star players. It's a little bit of what the Suns did. Not that I don't think that they had very solid reasons for moving on from Monty Williams, but he was the first to go. Frank Vogel, your current coach, was the scapegoat. In L.A. Doc Rivers. skate like They have impact as to what's going on, but they're always the first domino to fall. Yeah, and I think that there's something here that's, on a more personal level with this organization. Mike Hazen came over. It was his first opportunity as like the real guy in charge. He was a GM in Boston, but under Dave Dombrowski, that that, that barely counts. Um, This was his first big thing on his own. And he brings Amiel Sade with him and uh, a couple other guys that had been with him. And they hire Tori Lovello, who I want to say was an unknown. He made his, his name known in Boston as like the bench coach filling in at times for other coaches. But This was his first big gig, too, and I feel like they have this sense of co-ownership of how this franchise does. Yeah. And so, in a lot of ways, and these are guys who've known each other for a long, long time and have been in other organizations together way beyond their Diamondbacks years. So, I think Mike Hazen would have a really hard time justifying firing Tori Lovello, and that's no longer the conversation, thankfully. Now we're talking about, do you extend him into the future 
based on what he's accomplished for you in the last couple of seasons. And I mean, he's just, this season has been so much fun to watch in so many ways, but it's even better because they're doing it organically, homegrown, farm sourced, like everything, right? They didn't go and try to spend all this money on Yasmani Tomas, right? Like that's not happening this year. I was trying to forget about that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) They, they, they cut ties with mad bum. Like this organization's made really almost every single right move that they've can. Like nobody bats a hundred, but they're doing really well. One last thing I'll leave up, leave us with. Here's a list of head coaches that have gone through the Valley since Tory Lavella was hired late 2016. This is courtesy of at D back stats and info. They're great. Okay. Earl Watson. Yep. Jay Triano. Igor Kokoshkov, Monty Williams, Frank Vogel, Dave Tippett, Rick Tockett, Andre Turney, Bruce Arians, Steve Wilkes, Cliff Kingsbury, and now Jonathan Gannon. It's a long list. Tory's been there through it all. And that's not even all like the Mercury you don't have in there, the Rising you don't have in there. You look at every other professional team and non-professional team if you want to go collegiate. That's not happening anywhere else but the Diamondbacks. And you could argue they're the most exciting team in the state. Tori's my favorite coach in the Valley right now. I I can't blame you. I can't blame you. Vogel's got a ring, but Tori's my favorite coach in the Valley right now. And it's continuity. Continuity paid off. The Diamondbacks made a tough decision to keep him around after a terrible season, and I think it's starting to pay off. So that's really good for them. Uh, now that the Suns have their new head coach, does the coach fit the roster and vice versa? We're going to talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us on Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Mitch is off today, uh, but Eric Ruby sitting in for him. And a big week, actually, for you to be here, Eric, because I know you love basketball. Uh, I love talking basketball with you because you know the X's and the O's. And that's going to be an important conversation around this new head coach, Frank Vogel. Yeah. He is a defensive-minded head coach. You've talked a lot already today about the uh, where they ranked during all of his seasons as a head coach in the NBA, and it's pretty much, I think you put it earlier, he's a walking top 10 defense. But more or less, if you have Frank Vogel on your team and he's not completely surrounded by incompetence, he's going to be a top 10 defense, or close to it, even in Orlando, when you have Nikola Vucevic as your center, which yeah. I guess he's doing it in Chicago too. He's actually a better defender than most people think. Pretty but, good player. But Vogel is Vogel's the type of guy who's going to come in and he's going to clearly lay out exactly where you need to be, what you need to be doing, and how you do it on defense. And for this team, and I know you're going to agree with, me when I, agree with me when I say this, it was really frustrating sometimes to watch them defend and just take the stupidest fouls of all time. Yeah, this team definitely has an issue with discipline when it comes to fouls. I I, I would say that is one of the biggest issues. I I hate and I, I hate to put too many things on Devin Booker because he was almost the perfect player for a good good run there in the playoffs. But Devin Booker chirps at the refs too much. Uh, I think Kevin Durant gets frustrated a little easily sometimes too. But I will say this. Durant and Booker are underrated defenders. Agreed. I think they both performed pretty well defensively, individually. Uh, This team, as it stands right now, is basically Booker, Durant. Paul is technically back, uh, I guess you could say. DeAndre Ayton is still around. So I'm just going to go on the the discussion of the top four. Okay. 
How does DeAndre Ayton fit with Frank Vogel? He, I, on the one hand, I think he can get more out of him defensively. But on the other hand, DeAndre Ayton is not the rim-protecting center that Frank Vogel is used to having with his other teams. Right. And to be fair with Vogel, is he's shown that he can develop guys into that if you have just some sort of raw attributes, right? You go back to Indiana and you've got Roy Hibbert. Seven foot three or whatever. Right. Couldn't move a lick, though. He was yeah. he was as immobile as immobile gets. But he taught him. He didn't invent verticality, but he almost repopularized verticality in which you would watch Roy Hibbert defend. And he would just tell him, put your arms straight up in the air and jump straight up. Funny how simple that is. Right. A lot of other coaches wouldn't do that, though. Like Roy Hibbert, obscurity after Frank Vogel. Like, he did not have a long run in this league. So you could talk yourself into, okay, give him somebody who's almost seven foot, super athletic, has shown in the 2021 playoffs, he can anchor a defense that can get you to the finals. Yeah, give him Frank Vogel, let Vogel work with him, and he'll get him out of it. But then I stopped myself. Because it's the same conversation that I've had about DeAndre Ayton with myself and with my friends and with other fans for years. Oh, maybe they can get it out of him. I don't think it comes down to the coach. I don't think that DeAndre Ayton can be molded into something if DeAndre Ayton doesn't want to be Yeah, he has to make that choice himself. It doesn't seem like he wants to be that. I could be wrong. I'd love for him to prove me wrong. And I can see why it would be intriguing. Like, I'm more open to give giving Aiton another shot than I was before they hired Vogel. I was like 95% in on trading him. I basically looked at it as if he was on the roster next season. Things were going to get real interesting. We're almost a failure of sorts. Now I can understand why you would talk yourself into it. I would just warn getting yourself down the same cycle that's gotten you to this place. So I'm looking at last season blocks per game. If you just want to go straight on blocks, DeAndre Ayton is ranked 32nd in the league. So that doesn't even put him in. I mean, there's power forwards ahead of him on this. That's list. he's not a one of, out of the top starting centers. No, I mean you get the occasional like Derek White has more blocks per game than DeAndre Ayton. Uh, so I guess there are some anomalies position wise. But yeah, I mean he's not. Anthony Davis, 3.1 blocks per game. No, he's not. By the way, uh, that was a guy that Frank Vogel coached. Joel Embiid, three blocks a game. These are the anomalies. Then you get into like kind of the the mid-tier. Anthony Edwards, two two a game. Jaron Jackson Jr., two a game. Even like a Brooke Lopez or a Nick Claxton or Al Horford, not the greatest players in the world, but like these are really good rim protectors in the league. Top five, six rim protectors. DeAndre Ayton, I think, has the athleticism to do that. You're right. Here's part of the problem. And it dates back to Game 7 against the Mavericks last year. Ayton clearly was frustrated with Monty Williams that he wasn't getting the ball on offense. Mm-hmm. And that changes his his attitude, changes his the mode that he's in. Is he going to be able to unlock his defensive potential if he doesn't feel he's getting what he deserves on offense, which is going to be increasingly difficult with teammates like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and whoever else they bring in to run this team offensively because you know they're getting theirs. Yeah. And what At least did we they see, should. What, yeah. What did we see every... It felt like every game in the playoffs that they, they played, those two guys are going to combine for 70 points. We're talking playoffs. No, Regular I got you. season. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I got you. That's a whole other animal, I guess. But DeAndre Ayton, 
especially in college, was known as a super versatile offensive player. Was known for that. And he is. He's good. He's a good offensive player. But the thing is, when you're on a team like this with two other guys who are so significantly better, I think historically better than you offensively, you have to take a backseat offensively and focus that attention defensively. Is that something that he wants, that he can stomach? I think that's the question. You know what? It might be yes. Like It very well might be yes. But it might not have been yes with Monty Williams. There, there is maybe a little bit more to it than we would like to give athletes, you know, the not the credit, but the understanding for of your coach and your organization and how you feel they feel about you. Cross sports here. Look at the difference in Kyler Murray and the level of bought in he seems like in this new regime versus the old regime. And there's been some similarities into how people talk about Kyler and DeAndre Ayton. I would say it's a little harsher on DA because he hasn't hit the heights that Kyler's hit. But there is, I would say, not a 0% chance that DeAndre Ayton is like, okay, I have a coach. And again, this is if Vogel wants it to happen. I have a coach who comes to me and says, you can be the defensive player of the year. You have the tools. I know how to get you there. Do you want that? Like, are you ready to do that? And the fact that it's not Monty Williams asking him might change that. But here's the part of the conversation we haven't even hit on yet. And we might hit on later in the show because it's very important. The amount of money that DeAndre Ayton makes versus the amount of value that he gives you, especially being your only real actual valuable trade piece, it makes less sense to keep him than to trade him even if Vogel really likes him. Because... With Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, you need a center that will do the dirty work. And you can get that for a lot cheaper than DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, well, I was thinking back. I mean, I just named a couple guys, right? Like Brooke Lopez, Al Horford. Those guys would come cheaper. But uh, looking back on Vogel and the centers he's coached most recently in L.A., correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking back, obviously Anthony Davis. That's next level. You can't get that. Uh, But like a Dwight Howard at the end of his career. Rim protector. JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee, who was also here, by the way. Uh, rim protector. Um, you mentioned Roy Hibbert. Was never a superstar player, but certainly wasn't the kind of guy to get $30 million a year, I don't think, like, like Aiden did. Certainly not. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And, and if you want to look at it this way, I think it probably works better for both sides. Aiden, per my conversation that we just had about his offense— he probably would love to go to some other team where he can be a number one offensive and defensive option, where he can really shine and evolve that way just because he's getting more opportunities. Naturally, your statistics look better. Therefore, you're going to continue to make the money you make. Um, I think he would probably prefer a new destination. Um, and Vogel could benefit by getting players back and then using that center position to bring in more traditional rim protection. And you need depth. Like that, the, the problem with this team is not, oh, who are their best players? Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can win you a championship. There is absolutely zero debate about that. They need more pieces around them. And there are even like former Frank Vogel players, which I think we'll also get into later, that would fit that mold way better than DeAndre Ayton. And if you can use Ayton and whatever value he has... Move on from him. Free up that money. 
and also find a way to reduce Chris Paul's either impact on your cap space or presence on your team in general, you have a lot to play with with a coach that has a clear identity. And then two superstars that, like you said, can combine for 70. Yeah. That's not bad. It's really not a bad foundation to build something off of and try to chase a championship. It's a good place to start. I think you're right. Coming up next, where does Kyler Murray rank among NFL quarterbacks? Well, one analyst has him ranked 19th. Are there really 18 quarterbacks better than him in the NFL? We're going to dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. found this interesting. You can find it at ArizonaSports.com. NBC's Chris Sims. Remember him? Quarterback? He uh, did a top 40 quarterback countdown, basically ranking the NFL's top quarterbacks. Why 40? I have no idea. That seems weird. Usually a top 30 or 32 would make sense, I guess. Get the backups in there. Give them some love. I guess so. Um, There are some good backups in the league. Chris Sims says that Kyler Murray is the 19th best quarterback in the league now he did couch it a little bit so this is a quote from the piece this is uh this is still an incredible talent in the nfl an incredible talent who has serious questions about his leadership and his ceiling versus top nfl defenses his talent is better than number 19 he can rise he still has top 10 quarterback physical abilities but we know that there's more to it uh more to that in being a quarterback. That's a weird way to word it. When you talk about the talent, he's still one of the best runners in the sport. Is he? Uh, He has an incredibly strong arm still. There's no doubt about that. Accuracy on big-time throws has definitely declined, and I think there's some mechanical things there. That's from Chris Sims. Uh, I think he brings up some interesting points. Uh, Yes, I believe that Kyler Murray is better than 19th in this conversation. Uh, I do think that he's got talent as a runner, although there's going to be question marks when he comes back, seeing as how it's a knee injury. Um, How does that impact his running ability? Do they kind of avoid running? If the team is, I don't know, 0-8 when he comes back, do they avoid running at all costs? There are some things here that I think Chris Sims gets right. I still don't know if there's 18 quarterbacks better than him, though. It It's kind of funny. To read off the names that he has around Kyler Murray. Okay, do it. Okay. At 20 is Mac Jones. Kyler Murray's a better quarterback than Mac Jones. At 18, so this is now ahead of him. Okay. Derek Carr. A guy who just got run out of LA or Vegas. Kyler Murray's better than Derek Carr. Yeah. 17. Jared Goff. Kyler Murray's better than Jared Goff. You cannot like Kyler Murray's personality. Like, you can, all of that. But the the ceiling for him, the amount that he could do on the field, he's a better quarterback than you. You're giving me a face. Do you disagree with no, me? No, I, I, I believe Kyler Murray's the better quarterback. Goff, he went to a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. <laughs> was it the lowest scoring I mean, Super Bowl, uh, like, ever? Yeah, no. And it was more about the team than him. I, Especially I that, that defense. Okay, here's I'm the I'm trying to build the case for Jared Goff, basically. Funniest one to me, 16. Okay. Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, no. Are you like seriously? Uh, here's what I'll say. Ryan Tannehill, although he is, I think he did miss an entire season at the beginning of his career. Uh Ryan Tannehill is more available right now. Great. I know. Sometimes <laughs> availability is a part of the equation, is all I I'm get, saying. Like, I, I get it. He's durable. I get it, but Ryan Tannehill's not a better quarterback than no. Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray has so many flaws. I'm not sitting here banging the drum that Kyler Murray's a top ten quarterback in this league. 
He has a lot to prove for that. And I think at his heights, he can play like one. But you're right. Availability, even off the field stuff. Some people don't like his personality or they don't feel like he's bought in or he's immature. And I think he's starting to shed some of that with this new regime. And I understand like hesitating on him or even putting him in this tier. But it's just it seems like the world's gotten a little bit too low on Kyler Murray because it's not like he was a bad quarterback. Like, sure, maybe he wasn't perfect, and maybe he was demanding a lot of money, but he's not a bad quarter. Like, it's, it's. am I missing something? I feel like I'm going a little bit crazy I feel with like, how people are talking about him. I feel like the conversation we're having here is that he shouldn't be 19th. He should be in the high teens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's kind of apples and oranges here. It's not a huge deal, but um, listen, I've been accused of being a Kyler Murray fanboy for a long time. I I think I've told this story before, but Kyler and I went to the same high school. Uh, I was a few years before him. He comes along. I we worshipped high school football in Texas, in Dallas, in the Dallas area. We worshipped football. We went to every game, every Friday night. Like your whole weekend was devoted to football. That's how Texas is. It's different than Arizona. And Kyler Murray was the savior. And he comes into this huge school that's already good at football, and they never lost a game. And I know that's high school. It's a different conversation. But he goes to college. I always thought he was going to win a Heisman wherever he ended up. I thought it was going to be A&M. Turns out it wasn't A&M. It ends up being Oklahoma. I was a huge fan of Kyler Murray. Still a huge fan of Kyler Murray. I might believe in him more than anybody else. Uh, but the faults are, are, are obvious. There's not a ton of leadership there. And I, it's funny. I saw some quotes this week from some of the players talking about he's the first one in, last one out. I hope that's a significant change that they're seeing this offseason. It's kind I of been that's it, it's been a theme. Like the new regime, Gannon, Austin Good. Fort, every time they get asked about Kyler, they talk about how much he's around the building. And I think it was it was maybe in Gannon's introductory press conference. He's like, yeah, I was leaving the building one day and I saw a really nice car there at like 9 o'clock at night. And I'm wondering <laughs> who that is. I go and I look. And it's Kyler Murray. Yeah. And you also can't ignore like, yeah, last season, not great for Kyler Murray. A three no. and eight record across 11 games. He completed 66% of his passes for just over 2,300 yards, 14 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Fine. You look at the team around him. The reason why he's injured is because he was running for his life every single play. Every single play. The pocket was collapsing on him. If I remember right, the play was non-contact, right? Yeah, well, yeah. And non-contact injuries, I mean, like, I, I have always viewed them as they were going to happen eventually. You know what I mean? It's not like he took a I'm helmet to like, the knee. Right, but like he's he's running around every single possession, even just a little bit, because yeah. his offensive line, line can't protect him. It's why you draft Paris Johnson Jr. this There's year. There's more wear and tear on his knees from running around than, say, a, a less mobile quarterback. Like Mac Jones, who's sitting in the pocket, right? Yeah. Uh, I can agree with you on that. I don't necessarily think that's the reason he got injured. Uh, these things happen, especially with mobile quarterbacks. But, yeah, I have him higher than 19th. But like you said, it, okay, it's not that much higher. I guess more of the conversation the is just this, this season for Kyler Murray, even though he's not going to be playing, it, it is somewhat huge. Because I kind of hate this, but there's no denying it and there's no running from it. The conversation has turned to Caleb Williams. And I don't, I don't like that. I, I'm not a fan of that because you do have a quarterback you just invested a quarter of a billion dollars into who has shown he's a, like at his peak, at his best with a good team around him. There's not much that people can do with him. 
like this team, this Cardinals organization has had countless failures over the last couple of years. And it would be unfair to put them all on Kyler Murray. But it's also unfair to expect an organization to sit around and maybe wait for him to be that guy again. Yeah, listen, I don't want to. I don't want to start uh, writing off Kyler Murray and moving on to Caleb Williams a year too soon. There's too many things that can happen. Caleb Williams could get hurt. He could have a bad year at USC. Uh, it doesn't seem likely, but it's possible. Uh, somebody else could jump him, like that uh, kid at UNC could be better than him, could be the number one pick next year. Too many variables here. Uh, but what I will say is, if Kyler Murray misses a significant chunk of the season, which is more than possible, it seems likely at this point, uh, if the team is as bad as projected and has the number one and number two pick, not likely, but if it happens, uh, that's going to be a very tantalizing thing. The possibility of moving on from your quarter of a billion dollar quarterback who just missed half a year and moving to a guy who's going to be a significantly lower cap hit and you can spend some of that money elsewhere to build a team around him. That's uh, No matter who that player is, Caleb Williams, some other quarterback, that's going to be very enticing to an organization. Forget about who we're talking about. Forget about Kyler. Forget about Caleb. Whoever it is, that's an enticing scenario to be in. Yeah. It's it's hard, though, because with this season for Kyler, like you said, it's kind of a prove-it season. There is that decision coming up. Is If they have a top pick, which is more than likely, like there's going to be a quarterback there. I'll have two. And have two picks. Kyler comes back eight games into the season. Like, look, man, nobody's expecting this team to be good. And so if you drop Kyler Murray in there post-ACL injury with an offensive line that might be better, but let's not get things twisted. They're not going to be like a top 10 line in the league. A wide receiver core with nobody over six feet tall except for their rookie. What do you really expect him to do? And if he comes out and he doesn't have a great season like he had before, who's everybody going to blame? You know, I, him. I haven't gone out on this limb yet here on the show, but I think I'm going to do it. I've felt this way for a few weeks. I think Kyler Murray is going to be back way sooner than expected. Like how soon? I think most people think he's going to miss half the year, maybe more. I wouldn't be shocked if he just misses a couple games. Like two, three games. Do you think the franchise would want to do that, though? I don't know. Because to your point, it, it kind of behooves you to not play him and maybe lose a couple games and your pick is better. But you also have a quarter billion invested in somebody that you need to see play and you need to see get his legs under him. And also, let's look at this hypothetical, imaginary, unlikely future, which is always fun, of saying that you you are poised to maybe pick a quarterback in the draft. Who's trading for Kyler Murray if he plays four games this season and either they're not yeah. good? a hard conversation to have. right when his contract kicks in i just i just have this feeling like kyler's making really good progress and maybe it, it's the propaganda that's coming from the organization because it, it it it's in their benefit to talk him up and to build that relationship because it was clearly soured between him and cliff and kime and all that last year uh, i get it i get that i'm kind of falling for the bait here but i feel like kyler murray could be back way sooner than we expect and you're right what does that mean for a team that we don't necessarily want them to win a ton of games next season, or they're not expected to. Uh, but you got to remember, players play to win, and they're not trying to lose. It's an interesting conversation. Coming up next. So the Suns, they hired Frank Vogel. Is he the right guy at the right time? Because I think Monty Williams was the right guy at the right time.
Interesting. We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.